Good morning. Welcome to the brook. And uh, my name is uh, Neil, and I'm so glad to be here. My family has been part of the, the the congregation here for a few months now, and we just always find a great home here. And we appreciate your fellowship, and we appreciate so much what God is doing here. So it's an honor for me to be here and share God's word. And our series that uh, we're in the middle of is called Fatherhood, and is. Uh, as was said, it's been a kind of an interesting series, right? Because it opens up our minds and hearts to all kinds of things. Uh, as Pastor Mucci has said, God's fatherhood is not a metaphor. It is a reality. And so what we're, what we're faced with is this idea that, you know, we all have a picture of dad based on our dad or somebody else's dad or some male authority figure that we've had in our life. And, and what the scripture is asking us to do is to look beyond that. I can tell you one of the first times uh, was a, as a young pastor, like 20 some years ago, I was at a little church get together in a pavilion at an amusement park in Pennsylvania. And it was really kind of a lighthearted fair. And they asked me to do a devotional. And I, I talked about God's fatherhood. And someone come up to me afterwards and someone who wasn't a church member or, or, or just kind of remotely religious. And they came up to me and said, no, no, I can't, I can't buy any of that, what you talked about. And I said, well, what's the matter? And he said, well, you know, my dad was an alcoholic and he was abusive and all these horrible things. And, and at, that, at that point, I realized that the weight of what the word father really means, that person wasn't able at that point to hear about God as father because so many bad things had happened to them. And so it's really an act of the spirit of God for us to look above whatever our earthly experience is, whether it's a good experience with our dad or, or not so good experience with our, our earthly father, to look beyond that and to see what it means that right now, right as we are here gathered on a Sunday morning in Miami, Florida, that God is your father. What does that mean? That's what we've been striving for in this series, and that's what we're, we're striving for today. The talk of today, of course, is that... Um, is found in Luke chapter 15. Our text is Luke chapter 15. And, and the theme for the day is God fathers us by giving us a secure love. God fathers us by giving us a secure love. And let me just repeat the first two verses that were read, and then I'll go to, this, to the, where the text for the sermon is coming from a little bit later down in the chapter in really one of the most famous parables that Jesus taught us. It says in Luke chapter 15, verse 1 and 2, that the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus. Tax collectors uh, were sinners because um, tradition tells us and history tells us that they were thieves, the tax collectors were. They just didn't get your tax money. They got extra money on top of that. And if you wanted a calm life and a life that was free of government interference, you paid the tax collector a little more. So tax collectors are despised because they're seen as being agents of the state of Rome and not really friends of the nation of Israel or the people who lived in, in that area at the time. So the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to Jesus. They were listening to his teaching, of course. And the Pharisees and the scribes, who were the religious people, the people who knew the Bible backward and forward, the people, the scribes, you know, the people who, who write the Bible, right, or copy, copy verses and those kinds of things. And the Pharisees were the experts in the law. They could tell you chapter and verse, and they could tell you all the traditions of men. They knew everything there was to know about the Israelite religion. And they, they what did they do? Were they happy about the sinners drawing near and the tax collectors coming to hear Jesus? Were they happy, happy? No, they were not. The Pharisees and the scribes, what did they do? They grumbled. They murmured. They complained. There's other words we could use, right? But we won't use those. They were upset. The man receives sinners and eats with them. 
Jesus shook up the status quo. And, and one of the things you really need to know when you read the parables of Jesus is Jesus didn't tell a story simply because he could tell a story. Jesus told a story with a purpose. And usually one of the big purposes of Jesus' stories was to rock people's world, to change their thinking, to upset the apple cart, so to speak, of the way things were around him. He wanted to grab people's attention, and he did so by telling stories. And so the first two stories about the lost sheep and about the lost coins you know, are, are well-known stories, but this last one, the one that my Bible, uh, my Bible titles The Parable of the Prodigal Son, is perhaps one of the most famous ones in the whole entire Bible. Listen as I read uh, this rest of chapter 15 together. Jesus said there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and he took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. We wish the chapter ended there, but it doesn't. His older son was in the field. And as he came and he drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And the servant said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. And he was so happy. No, 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 no. Verse 28, he was angry and he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came, this, the son of yours, when he came, who's devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fattened calf for him. And the father said to the son, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. I propose, first of all, that we immediately scratch out the parable of the prodigal son 
and we say we have lost sheep in the first parable, we have lost coins in the second parable, we have lost sons in the third parable. The idea, the interesting thing is, well, we have to think a little bit. Let me let me just put some disclaimers on it, right? What is this? What is this parable not about? This parable is not about you going to probate court with your family and trying to get the inheritance just right, right? It's not about that. It's not about how to divvy up the inheritance, which leads me to a, a cute Sophia story. Sophia is my 15-year-old. 10 years ago, I was explaining to her, I don't know why on earth I was explaining to her and her sister about inheritance. Her mother was, uh, was working or nowhere to be found. And that day, you know, she was busy and uh, I took the girls out to, to dinner or lunch or something. And I said, inheritance is the money you get when mommy and daddy die. That's my ex- explanation to a five-year-old and an eight-year-old at IHOP. And Sophia, if you don't know Sophia, get to know her. She raises her hand and says, I call mommy's money. <laughs> she is a, she's one smart girl. <laughs> so this parable is not about how to divide the inheritance among your family. It's not about, it's not about that. It's not, even, it's not even about trying to identify, am I the younger brother? Am I the older brother? It's not really about that. Because depending on what stage of life you're in, you may be either or. Uh, there may be a time when you are the younger brother. There may be a time when you are the older brother. That's not the issue. What this parable is, this parable is teaching us is that our Father's love for us, God, our Father's love for us, is a secure love, and it is up to us to receive it. The blessing comes to those who receive God's love. So the first part of the parable, of course, is the one we call the prodigal son. And, and basically, the text says in the first, uh, the first uh, you know, few verses here, verses 11 to 24, it tells us that the father loves the prodigal son. And I thought forever that the word prodigal meant someone who is disobedient and wayward, someone who just kind of, you know, was rebellious. I thought prodigal was a synonym for rebellious. But actually, if you look it up in a dictionary, prodigal is not someone who's rebellious. A prodigal is a person who spends their money recklessly. Someone who shops at the mall a lot, right? And spends all their money, you know, goes out. And they, can only, they can afford X amount, but they, buy, they spend X plus a lot more, right? Those, those kinds of things. Uh, and you've known people like that and here in, here in uh, the 305 sometimes. Uh, <laughs> folks, do, folks do that, right? You know, extravagant lifestyles and so forth. Uh, they're prodigal in that way. They spend, they spend too much. They spend excessively. And what the parable is trying to teach us here is that every action of this, of this son, this younger brother, was disrespectful towards the father. Every, every action. So it says right, right at the beginning, and you start reading this in verse 12, the younger of the brothers said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. Give me my inheritance now. In that culture, in the first century A.D., right, Inheritance, especially amongst the Jewish people, was so legislated and so regulated and so this is the way it is that it took a very act of God himself to change any of that. So you read the Old Testament over and you see how the blessings were divided and things were divided. You see what the picture is there. And so when the younger son comes to dad and he says, Father, give me my inheritance now, there is a sense where some of the commentators are right when they're asking, you know what, dad, 
drop dead. And his and he's saying, well, that's a little too harsh. Absolutely every action that he does after he asks for the inheritance money shows that he wanted no part of the father. What does he do? Not many days later. I mean, the father graciously gives it to him, which is, you know, imagine if you're there in the first century and, and you're listening to Jesus give this parable. Oh yeah, no, no dad's going to do that. No father's going give, to give the inheritance away to a son who acts so rebelliously and wants to, you know, and you know, we, we kind of know what he's going to do with it. He's going to spend it all. And, and, God said, and, and, and so Jesus goes on with the story. He says he gave it to him. Oh, that's surprising. Not many days later in verse 13, the younger son gathered all that he had and he took a journey where? Into a far country. He didn't want to stay in the neighborhood. He didn't want to stay in the county. He didn't want to stay in the state. He didn't want to stay in the country. He went where? To a far country. Why? He wanted to distance himself from his father. He wanted to get away from his dad. And so the idea is, is that this son was disrespectful. This son was arrogant towards his dad. This son was uh, reckless. Notice what it says after he did. He goes to a far country in verse 13, and there he squanders his property in reckless living. Reckless living. He spent, and he spent, and he spent, and he spent, and there was no more left. It was gone. What did he do with this money? He bought friends, right? He, imagine, did all kinds of activities, right? And the idea was that it didn't make any sense. It was reckless. Verse 14, he spent everything. It was gone. And then, just as circumstances allow, a, ser- a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. He was used to, at least for a time, pulling out his wallet and handing money out and having his way with people and doing what he wanted, making friends, all the kinds of things that the young man in his position with a lot of money does, but all of a sudden he reaches for his wallet. There's a severe famine in the land. And I mean, famine, I mean, that's not, that's not a small thing. A severe famine means you die if you don't eat. And he reaches into his wallet and he pulls it out and there's nothing left. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? He decides in verse, in verse uh, 14 uh, or verse 15, he goes and hires himself out to one of the citizens of that country. And that citizen sent him into his fields to feed pigs. Just about every one of these details is just worth our thinking about. Who's Jesus talking to? Jewish people. How are pigs with Jewish people? Where are Jewish people with pigs? They No, right? The law says, no, 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 no. Now I'm feeding pigs? I was the son of this wealthy man, and now I am in a field feeding pigs? And then he, he was longing, in verse 16, to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Jesus is telling the story to get us to sense the desperate need of this younger brother. He was in a desperate place. He had distanced himself from his father. He had spent all of his inheritance. How did he wind up? 
broke and alone and starving to death. We think about our needs sometimes, and we think about this younger brother, and we can, some of us can identify with the younger brother because uh, maybe we had a rebellious streak, and maybe we left and went as far as, way as we could from those who cared about us, and we wanted to do our own thing and go our own way, and then we end up in a place, and we end up broke, and we end up starving. So some people really can identify with this younger brother, right? They can identify. And you know, I mean, we do live in a city, right? We do live in a city where people run to the city, right? People run to the city. And the idea that, you know, you're going to find people in the city, if you don't know them, you will know them shortly, right? Who come to the city and all of a sudden they have nothing. They have nothing. (laughs) Maybe you heard the saying and they don't know exactly who said it, but the person who said, you know, you go, you go to Los Angeles if, if you want to become somebody. You go to New York City when you are somebody. And you go to Miami when you want to be somebody else. <laughs> and so we live in a city, we live in a, in a community, in an area where people absolutely, some of them are like this prodigal son. You may find yourself being in that situation today. You may know folks in this situation. And the question is, what are you going to do? How are you going to help this person? What are, what are we as a church and as a church community going to do? What the, you, know, you know, let's approach this. Here's this poor fellow. And you know what it, see what it says? No one gave him anything in verse 16. Do you see that? Now, there's a person inside of us who may be judgmental. And say this, he got what he deserved. That rotten, no good son. Do you see what his actions did? Do you see what he had done? And now he is now he's found himself in a hard place. I am I am not gonna help this person. Include me in with the no ones. No one gave him anything. That's gonna be me too, right? Well, the parable is gonna talk to us in about a second. Here it comes. This son came to himself and he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish with hunger. He came to his senses. I'm going to rise and go to my father and I'm going to say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So he comes to his senses. He realizes that the only place to go is home and he decides, he rises, he goes to his father. He has this speech prepared about what he's going to say. But while he was still a long way off in verse 20, verse 20, you know, circle it, star it, highlight it on your iPhone, whatever you do, right? While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt what? Compassion for him. The father's love is secure. This son was not a good son. He was disrespectful. He was arrogant. He spent his money foolishly. He ended up starving. The father, what does the father do? Has compassion. And he runs towards the son. He runs. 
We don't know what was going on in the father's mind, but all we can know is from his actions. His action says, I love you, son. And think of the culture. You're talking about a dignified middle-aged man, we think, or elder. In, the, in Israel, you know, in the first century AD, you don't see these guys running. They're not running. They're sitting. They're making pronouncements. They're doing deals, you know, business deals. They're making all kinds of arrangements in the world. They are not running. This father gets up, seeing him at a distance, and runs with everything he has because he has compassion. The father loves him. And we need to be able to receive that love. You know, there are some people that you're going to meet in life who say, you know, I've done such, I've lived wild, I've lived crazy, I've lived, I've, lived a, I've lived this life and it's been so far from God. I've lived in the far country. I've spent everything I've had financially and emotionally and spiritually. I'm broke. I am destitute. I am poor. And you know, our job as a church is not to say, see, you got what's coming to you. Our job as a church, our job as believers in Jesus is to say the Father loves you. And as believers in Jesus ourselves, we love you. Imagine what kind of place our city would be if the believers were filled with this heart of love. The heart of love that the Father has. And so the father goes out of his way. Tim Keller wrote a book on this. Tim, the pastor from New York City, he, he wrote a book on this chapter uh, and he called it the prodigal God. And this is back in my mind when I thought prodigal meant rebellious and disobedient and wayward. And then when I realized, and he says in his book, he, he explains in his book, the prodigal means you spend too much. God's, what kind of love does God have? Does God give you nickels and dimes and pennies? This God, what does he do? Bring quickly the best robe in verse 22. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. I mean, this guy was a mess. He didn't have shoes. (laughs) And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and now is alive again. He was lost and now is found. And they began to celebrate. And so this parable sounds like the parable of the lost sheep. And it sounds like the parable of the lost coin. That you know what? That there are wayward people. There are wayward things in this world. But God wants them back. And God's going to claim them back. And when they come back, we ought to be thankful. We ought to rejoice. We ought to party. We ought to celebrate. So I don't know if you find yourself as the prodigal son. I don't know if you've ever said to yourself or to someone else, I've heard people say this and it, and it breaks my heart. I, I'm too wicked. God can't save me. I'm beyond hope. God doesn't, I'm not on God's radar. God only likes the good people. If you are in, that sh- in those shoes, if you know somebody in those shoes, please know how much God loves you. When John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world, I always thought that meant God loved the globe and everyone on the globe, you know? 
But if you read John's gospel and you see what the word world means, it means God loved his enemies. God loved people who crucified him. God loved people who rebelled against him. God loves the wayward. God loves the prodigal son. Well, we have to talk about this. I don't know if I want to talk about it. Let's go home. Uh, God also loves the pharisaical son. I sent you a slide with a picture on it. Did you guys get it? No? Didn't get it? We did get it? This is really a really good time for that slide. Dude, everybody doing okay? It's a heavy message, so it's, you know, it's good to have a little time out. You know, how's your day going? What are you doing now that we don't have a football team in Miami? What are you doing? Oh, special prayer for the Dolphins. <laughs> that, will, that, that will be prayer and fasting. No, no luck. I'll stop and get some water. You all look so well. Well, what it is, is in, in our home and in my office uh, at work, we have a picture that was painted by Rembrandt. Uh, no, he didn't know. It's a print. It's not the real thing. And it was painted in 1669. And I had to do the math on that. I think that's like 450 years ago. And it was called The Return of the Prodigal. And it is really a powerful painting. The father is sitting down, and the son is, the, the, the prodigal son, the, the, the younger brother is like at his knees, falling down, and the, the father's embracing him. It's a really powerful picture. If you haven't seen it, I encourage you to, I encourage you to look it up. Oh, there it is. I don't know if, can you see it? So you have, I mean, the, the father, the father's hugging the son, and it's a powerful picture. And, and people, artists, if you Google it, if you look it up, it's, this parable has been subject to a lot of artwork. There's some artists who got really into the son's wild living and, and painted pictures of the son living wildly, which you, you should, you know, it's, I think it's probably PG-13. And so you see that, and you see the tenderness in the father, and you see the son, you see, you look at his shoes, he doesn't have, you know, his, his foot's there, you know. There's some people in the, in the background. But I just wanted you to take a look at the guy on the right. That's the older brother. The older brother and what I'm going to call for the sake of alliteration, and I think, I think it fits. God loves, the father loves the prodigal son. The father loves the pharisaical son. If you read the Gospels over, you know what Pharisees are. Pharisees are very religious people, but they are also very hypocritical people, at least the ones that we read about in the Gospel. They're really concerned about the external keeping of the law, and they're not really concerned about people's heart. They're not concerned about their own heart. And that's a really, really difficult and, and hard place to be when you're not concerned about your own heart. So uh, there's a, one writer, Henry Nowen, um, kind of a mystical kind of a guy, and he's written some pretty interesting books. He actually spent some time looking at the real painting, the actual real painting in the museum. He sat in front of it for hours and hours and hours, observing the different characters and observing, and he, and he wrote about the older brother this. The lostness of the elder son is much harder to identify. 
After all, he did all the right things. He was obedient, dutiful, law-abiding, and hardworking. People respected him, admired him, praised him, and likely considered him to be a model son. Outwardly, the elder son was faultless. But when confronted by his father's joy at the return of his younger brother, a dark power erupts in him and boils to the surface. Suddenly there becomes glaringly visible a resentful, proud, unkind, selfish person. One that had remained deeply hidden even though it had been growing stronger and more powerful over the years. And I say, God's Word has a way through God's Spirit of getting to our heart. I spent a lot of my life trying not to be the younger son because I knew that was just bad. But in trying not to be the younger son, what I found was I became the older son. And the gospel is pretty clear. Where was the son in verse 25? His older son was in the field. I find it super interesting. Where was the younger son when he came to his senses? In the field feeding pigs. This older brother's in the field, and guess what? He has just as much distance between him and the father as the younger brother does. And he called one of the servants. He hears this noise, this music and dancing. And, he's, and, the, and the servant says, your, your, your brother's come home. And in verse 28, he was not happy about it. He was angry. He was enraged. And he refused to go in. Your father is a prominent citizen. Your father is having the big party for the son. And you refuse to go in. That's just as disrespectful as the younger son saying, give me my inheritance now. That's just as disrespectful. And in fact, even more so. In Tim Keller's book, he has a very interesting quote. And he says, and I don't know where he got it from, uh, but I'll, I'll attribute it to him for now. The idea is this, that it's not our sins that keep us from God. It's our good works that do. It's not our sins that keep us from God. It's our good works that do. Because we know the person who's in that, that son knew somehow he would, the, the younger son knew he was doing something wrong. He knew he was spending his father's money. He knew he was acting sinfully. He knew he was doing all kinds of bad and crazy things. He knew it and eventually came to his senses. And so he had an opportunity for repentance that was real and genuine. And he, he saw the pathway. The older brother, he's in the field slaving away, he says. And all he's doing is harboring resentment. He thought he was doing the right thing. He thought he was the perfect son. He could get an affidavit from all everybody who knew his family. What a good boy he was. What a fine son he was. He always shows up for work. He always does this. And what was this older brother counting on? He was counting on his good works. And I tell you, we love good works. But we don't love them to save us. Because they are not, never sufficient. Never sufficient. What are we saved by? We're saved by God's grace. 
And so we read the story. He was angry. He refused to go in. He's disrespectful. And he answers his father. And verse 29, I mean, you just have to, you have to look at this. Remember when the younger son comes to the father? He says, Father? Even when he's saying, give me the inheritance, he says, Father? What does the younger son say in verse 29 when he addresses the father? Look! Totally disrespectful. Look! These many years I've served you. Do you hear the, ten, the tenseness there? I've never disobeyed your command. And then, then he just sounds like a five-year-old. You never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. And when this, you know, he said, when this son of yours came, so he distanced himself from the father. He doesn't call him father. And he distanced himself from his brother. He doesn't call him the brother, your son. See that? I mean, what the scripture is doing here is it's taking layers and layers and layers off of this older brother's heart. That's painful. It hurts. But you know what? It is absolutely necessary if we're going to be able to receive the Father's love. You have to be ready to receive it. This older brother, he wasn't ready to receive it. And so the father explains to him what was going on. He says, listen, he says to him in verse 31, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this, your brother. See, the father says, he calls him son. And then he says, your brother was dead. And is alive, he was lost and is found. If I were sharing true confessions with you, I would say, I would say that I don't like this older brother very much because I see myself in him sometimes, judging people silently. Everyone thinking I'm holier than, you know, and stuff. And, and, and the idea is that God rips my heart open here sometimes with this but i want you to hear something if you may fall into this category god loves you too he does the pharisees were rotten to jesus they're rotten to him they're trying to kill him most of the time you read the gospels over they're gathering stones and stuff that's jesus loves them the father loves them their security in the Father's love. I just, you see it here. You see it here when the Father comes out in verse 26. The brother was angry. He refused to go in. In verse 26, his father came out and entreated him. He entreated him. He didn't come out and lecture him. He didn't come out and scold him. He didn't come out and belittle him. He didn't come out and ream him out. And then we could fill in other words, right? He didn't come out and, and be super angry with him. He entreated him. He explained to him about the Father's love and what the Father's like. And so this message applies to all of us, whether you're the younger brother, the, the prodigal son, or whether you're the older brother, the pharisaical son. This message applies to all of us, or you're somewhere in the line in the continuum in there, and it applies to all of us. And what's the message? God, the Father, loves you. He loves you. The older brother's in a tougher spot because he's not quite willing to receive the Father's love. 
This parable ends without him receiving it. It doesn't say he didn't and walked away angry. It didn't say that. But it didn't say he received it either. And so I think the Lord is leaving it in our hands today. Are we willing to receive God's love? Receiving God's love means that you know what? And when the younger brother comes back, we're going to rejoice. When the prodigal son returns, we're going to join the party. When the, when the father loves somebody else and we think he shouldn't love those people, we're going to be okay with that. Our heart's going to be ready for it. Because we know deep in our hearts, if we are the older brother type, we know that we need God's love just as much as the most wicked sinner ever. We need God's love too. And so the message today is basically this. Have you received this love for God? God's fatherly love secures us. Keeps us safe. Keeps us strong. But you've got to be in that position to receive it. The world needs it. We know the world needs it. The church needs it. I'm so glad for this day when we were singing about God's love and his resurrection power and all the things that we rejoice in today. We know these things are real. And as we live them out, doesn't it make a difference in your life to know you're loved by God? It doesn't matter what the phone call is anymore. I'm loved by God. I don't care. Right? <laughs> tough day at work? Yeah, tough days at work. But you know what? I'm loved by God. I don't care. You know, you pick up the paper and some crazy thing is happening somewhere in the world or you listen to the news, something, somebody's did something to somebody somewhere hard. You know, it's like, God, you know what? God's love is sure. It is secure. It is real. That's what our Father's like. And the sooner, the more we receive that, recover it, and apply it to our hearts, the more we are like our Heavenly Father. We can love Him because He first loved us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You for Your love, which is real. Lord, You know where everyone is in this room today. You know their heart. Thank You for that. And thank You, Lord, that no matter where their heart is, that Your love for them is powerful and strong and secure. I pray for that one who's never trusted you, that today would be the day that they do so. Or maybe for the one who's wandered from you, either purposely or just kind of through circumstances, I pray that you draw them close to you. I pray that your real love would manifest itself in so many different ways. And in, in this place, that Lord, our lives would be different, the lives of our families would be different. The lives of our community would be different. We pray these things in your holy name. Amen.